0: Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. It is such a blessing to be with you, Tree of Life. And uh, why don't you look at your neighbor and say, thank you for coming on a rainy day. Was you telling that? You didn't want to be the only one sitting in church, right? Now look at somebody else and say, and did I tell you you were good looking lately? Would you go ahead and do that? We like to help you out in your marriages as pastors when you come to church, and if you're single, we like to give you a few points. Really good lunch would help too, right? But seriously, I feel at home here. When I, when I came in the, the building, of course, it's my first time to speak, and I feel honored to have this opportunity this morning, but we've been getting together with your staff twice a year for, I bet you, almost a decade at this point. And uh, so I told the first service, so many of my staff said, please tell so-and-so hi, please tell so-and-so hi. So if you're here and you're on staff at Tree of Life, hi. All of our staff wants to say hi to you. So we wanna make sure we do that. And then we just love your pastors. How many of you think God has just given you the best, right? You have such amazing, amazing pastors. And, you know, you really know people whenever you go to India with them and you fly forever and then you get in a van and you go down, you go eight hours down bumpy dirt roads with two-foot potholes in them and, you know, you've slept about four hours everybody the night before. How many of you know if people have anger issues? They tend to come out <laughs> in environments like that, right? But, you know, Pastor Don is honestly one of the wisest, kindest people I know, and uh, I was really impressed, and then I met his mom, and I, you got it all from her, bro, that's what happened, right, so he, how many of you are just grateful for the kindness he ministers with, you know, yeah, (laughs) sitting in this church for any period of time is going to change your life, and then Miss Jessamy, she's one of the most fun-loving, caring people I know, You know, when you're in a mission trip, like over in India, everybody smells the same at three o'clock, everybody, and she always had her ginger to keep everybody on, on the right place, but seriously, we're so glad you're here. I know you're hungry to get into God's word, and if we have any football fans, you're wanting me to start right now, right? So let's pray. Let's get into God's word. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, we thank you for your promise to bring us life in every circumstance and to do us good in every season of life. And Lord, you know right now that all of our hearts are looking for the same thing. We want love that we can count on this time of year. We want answers that we believe will really cause things to turn out good down the road. So Lord, we, we quiet our hearts as we get ready to study your word because we know God in your word, you give us the way into those things. So we come to you today, Lord, with a quiet and a grateful heart. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Both Tamara and I's dad had a very stubborn and similar habit. And that is whenever we were young, they would make sure that none of their kids ever failed because they lacked effort. So my dad was a baseball coach, and if you're a baseball guy, you know that a big part of field and ground balls is you've gotta get your legs to get you in position to get the easiest hop to catch. And so sometimes as a kid, my legs would be a bit lazy, and my dad would call me into himself and he would say, now I'm going to hit the ball harder because I want to prove to you that you can do this and it's easy if you just make the effort. And I remember thinking as I hit those balls, I hope you paid your health insurance policy because these things are really coming at me fast. But Tamara's dad was the same way. When I married her, I was 25 years old and he had open heart surgery. And we went to visit him on a Saturday night in the hospital, the day of the surgery. And I thought I was gonna do a nice pastoral visit. And he looked at me and he said, oh, I forgot to tell you, I need you to preach in the services tomorrow morning. And I thought, man, did the nurses give him some kind of crazy medicine? Is he hallucinating in this moment? But no, that's who he was. He was going to teach you how to swim by throwing you in and reminding you that many times the difference between people who win and people who don't is the effort that they make. Now, there's more to that, but there's a great scripture about this in Ecclesiastes 9.10 where it says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might for in the realm of the dead where you're going there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom now there's two things about that scripture that really speak to me number one is the fact that many people as they progress into life they have a lot of regrets in their hearts And many times what they regret is that they didn't take more risks. They didn't give it all they had in a certain part of their life. As a matter of fact, I read recently about some people who were 95 years old and they surveyed these people and they asked them, what would you do different if you could go back and live again? And and here were their three answers. Number one, they said they would reflect more. They would enjoy the sunrises. They would enjoy the sunsets. They would create more special moments in their lives. The second thing they said is they would take more risks. They'd realize that if you're going to succeed, you're going to fail lots of times on the way to success. And then the final thing they said is that they would leave a legacy. They would live in a way where it really mattered to a lot of people whenever their life was over. And that's what we need to learn to do what we're doing today. Because, you know what, one day it's going to be over. And how many of you don't want to hear, hey, you're done when it's over. You want to hear, well done. Can you say amen? The second thing about this passage that speaks to me, though, is it talks about how we have to work and we have to plan. We have to gain knowledge, but we have to gain wisdom. And many times when we talk about resilience, which is what I'm talking about today, what we're going to talk about is it's not just willpower, but it's having this fight within us that causes us to plan for good before it happens and then to work for good during the hard times. It's what causes us not just to read books, but when we put down the book, we want to live wise. We want to do the right thing because we know there's a reward on the other side of our resilience. You know, the American Psychological Association defines resilience this way that it's the process and the outcome of successfully adapting to difficult or challenging experiences. And today we're gonna to study 10 verses where the Apostle Paul begins to speak to his spiritual son about resilience. And again, I'm so grateful that I had a father who when I was young, he made me honor the principle of resilience. I was a youngest child. Do we have any youngest children in the house today? You know, there are a lot of advantages to being the youngest child. You learn to deal with people who aren't as smart as you, like your siblings, whenever you're the, the, you're the youngest child. But there's a disadvantage, too, and that is when you're the youngest child, your mama's going to extra baby you because she knows this is the end of her babying season. And my dad was determined that he wasn't going to let me grow up without really nurturing within me a respect for and that's what Paul was doing with Timothy in the verse, or the text we're going to study this morning. And I want to get to the heart of it, which is in verse 6, where Paul says to Timothy, For this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through laying on of my hands, for the Spirit of God... That he gave us does not make us timid, but he gives us power. He gives us love, and he gives us self-discipline. That word "timid" in the Greek means that there's a cowardly fear inside, and a cowardly fear will cause you to give in to peer pressure that causes you problems down the road. That cowardly fear will tell you don't do the hard work because the hard work isn't going to be rewarded down the road. And Paul said, Timothy, instead of giving in to cowardly fear, I want I want you to learn to develop resilience and he told him that this resilience is rooted in three things number one he said it's rooted in power it's the greek word dunamis which is talking about the power of god and i want you to think this morning about what could happen in that strained relationship if god's wisdom really took over in that strained relationship I want you to think about what could happen in your career if you got better at following those veins of favor that God gives us all to do his will. I want you to think about what could happen in the life of that child whose heart is hard to God today. But if you began to walk in the fruit of the Spirit and if the gifts of the Spirit began to convince them of the reality of who God is, what could happen if God's power was working better in our lives? And then I want you to think about how important love is. The Greek word used for love means to have the best interest of other people in in mind. And so some of us today, who are fighting temptations. You know why we give in to temptation? Oftentimes, it's because we don't recognize that God loves us most and He always has our best in mind. And when temptation comes, I can always know that this is a second rate opportunity here, but following God is going to put me in touch with first rate experiences in my life. And then for some of us, we struggle to take steps of faith into the things that God's calling us into. And the reality is, when you're you're in touch with God's power, and you're in touch with the fact that God loves you. And as I take this step of faith, He's going to be with me every single step along the way until I succeed. You see, when we're in touch with those things, it births self discipline on the inside of our heart. And you know what? That discipline isn't even hard anymore because of how we're experiencing God. So, so this morning, we're going to going to see that resilience is always rewarded by God. But Paul talked to Timothy about two things. Number one, he said, Timothy, there's some principles you're going to have to steward on the inside of your heart. And there's two of them in verse uh, eight of chapter one. He says, first, Timothy, don't be ashamed. Everybody say, don't be ashamed. He said, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me. Everybody say, join with me. Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And Paul saying to Timothy that there's two things that will cause you not to be resilient. Number one... You have to learn to manage feeling on the inside of your heart better. That's why he said, don't be ashamed. And how many people have done things that they regret, things they might feel condemned for, but how many of you know Jesus did not die on a cross to condemn us for his sin? God's love is not based on me. God's love is placed on me. And I can know every day I wake up that God wants to be good to me. Listen, far too many people Have negative feelings that they just hold on to and they define their life because they don't recognize what Paul was telling Timothy. Then it's not just, you know, watching our heart from negative feeling, but then you have to have fellowship with the right people. Paul said, Join with me. And listen, if you show me your friends, I'm gonna show you what your future looks like down the road. And and so this morning, I wanna talk first of all, how do we live? with great feeling in our heart on a continual basis. Well, Jesus taught us this, that we have to establish a time and a place where we nurture healthy emotion in our heart. I love the story in Mark 1 where it says that Jesus first ministered all night to people in the community where he was. It said he healed and delivered every person that was demonically influenced. He ended up healing those who were physically and emotionally damaged and the bible says his meeting went way into the night and it says in verse 35 that in spite of that very early in the morning while it was still dark jesus got up and he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed and then it said simon peter and his companions came looking for him and they said jesus the people you ministered to They want the service to go on. What a pleasant thought that y'all want me to do another service after this so I can just go ahead and preach a little longer this morning. But you know what Jesus did? He looked at him and he said, no. He said, that isn't why I'm here. I'm here to go to every single village and town in Israel. I'm here to do the things the Father has called me to do. Some of us today, we have negative emotion inside, and we don't even recognize it's because we're doing what we're not called to do. We're not called to think about what somebody did to us yesterday. We're not called to live in bitterness. How many of you know we're called to believe that God's going to bless down the road? Amen? We're called to faith that God rewards. Well, I'm not called to do everything. Everything. I'm never called to compare myself to somebody else. I'm just called to do what Jesus has called me to do. And then Paul taught us some practices that will help us maintain this healthy emotion. In Philippians 4, verse 4, first he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he said, I'll say it again, rejoice. Now, why did Paul say that? Well, simply because a lot of people live with a shallow positive. How many of you know when we come to church and people say, how you doing? You don't say, I feel like killing three of my kids and I feel like wrecking my car, so insurance pays for it, right? You don't say that. What you do is you say, I'm doing fine. But listen, this isn't talking about shallow emotion. This is talking about the fact that if you're a believer this morning, how many of you are grateful that not in some things, but in all things, God works for the good? of those who love him and those who live called according to his purpose. So real joy eliminates a negative spirit about your life because regardless of what you're going through, you have joy because you know God's taking you somewhere good. The second thing Paul talked about that causes wrong feeling to come into our heart is not just negativity, but he said if you're self-absorbed, you're going to become a negative person. He said, I want you to be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. You know, we live in such a selfish society that... How many of you know just having relationships feels like Black Friday? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you're trying to get somewhere, but you got people hitting you all the time, you know, trying to keep you from where you're trying to go. And Paul said, listen, when it comes to the kingdom, God has good plan for you. But not only that, you can be gentle because God is going to be behind you concerning what he's called you to do. And then he gave a third thing when he said this, and he said, be anxious for nothing. He said, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then the peace of God which transcends all understanding is going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what are we really after as Christians? We're after peace. Why are we after peace? Because in the Hebrew word peace, everything you could possibly need as a person is in that concept of peace. In peace is forgiveness because it's God's will to forgive me for the mistakes I've made. In peace is direction because God said that he's given me the Holy Spirit as my helper to come alongside me in every challenge. In peace is victory because how many of you know greater is the one who's in us than the one? who's out there in the world. Can you say amen? And this morning, I want this message to produce something in you. And I wanna share an illustration that will help you understand. Back in 2017, there was this terrible fire that came up to the Sierra National Forest. And common people were just devastated because it was coming up on this 1,540-acre track, that had the the highest concentration of beautiful, giant-sized sequoia trees anywhere in the nation. And as the fire came, people were crying. But you know what wise people were thinking as that fire was coming up to the sequoias? They were thinking, this is just all part of God's process. Because in these big sequoia trees, there are seeds that are trapped in the trees. And the only way those seeds are ever going to come out, the only way those seeds are going to ever grow into an even bigger, more beautiful forest is for something to to bring a trial and those seeds come out of that tree. And what I'm saying to you this morning is whatever trial you're going through, whatever difficulty you're going through, listen, God just wants you to get in touch with those seeds on the inside of you. Can you say amen? Because he's capable of growing something beautiful for you. But we have to get the feeling right, and then we need the right kind of fellowship with people. It's why Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, join with me. And stay with me because I know human beings are, 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 are kind of like the stock market. Our lives don't just go up like this without challenges and struggles, but our lives go more like this, don't they? And that's why friends can bring great memories to every season. So we talked about the principles that will cause us to, to have a resilient spirit. Resilience isn't rooted in just willpower, but it's rooted in really knowing the power of God, that God's up to good in your life, and it's rooted in love and knowing God always wants the best for you in life. It brings a self-discipline that wants to follow him because of how good he is to everyone, and then we learn the principles of resilience, and that is we have to really steward having the right feeling in our heart. It's not just going to stay there, and we have to search for peace. We're not just going to have peace if we don't really steward peace in our heart. And then we learned a great way to do it, and that is just hang out with the right people who are going to keep our heart in the right place. But now I want to close in the 10 to 12 minutes I have left, and I want us to look at the next verses where Paul gives Timothy this beautiful paradigm for living with a resilient heart that God rewards. And I wanna say this first, that I heard a, another pastor, if I said his name, many of you would know him. He's so admired in our country. But he went through an incredibly difficult time. And it was so difficult that he was literally in his basement and his best friend drove 500 miles. And he said to him, I am not leaving until you get some help. He had gone through some things with his children, The church had gone through some challenges. And listen, there's no bigger pain to a parent than kid pain. Can you say amen? Amen. And as a pastor, there's no bigger pain than church pain because you're doing this for Jesus. You're not just doing this as a profession. So even though he's a strong, resilient person by nature, he was devastated. And this caused him to go to a clinical psychologist and the clinical psychologist gave him a picture or a paradigm a model to follow that i'm going to give you this morning if you need resilience in your life and he said this is a, a very common uh, paradigm in the psychological world and it's uh, a paradigm of a house that any builder here knows if you're going to build a great house you have to have a good foundation that can can hold the pressure and the strain of that house you have to build columns so that every room has the support that it needs, and then you beautify a house. You, you, you make every room you know filled with the equipment and the beauty that's going to cause it to fulfill the purpose that you have in your heart for that room. And as I listened to him speak, I thought, you know, anytime the world stumbles on some great wisdom, which, which I consider that, you know, there, there's always biblical truth in there somewhere. So, I started praying I said, Lord, where in scripture could I find what he's talking about tonight? And I found it in this passage of Timothy, that, that Paul didn't just give him a personal charge as a parent. And listen to me, parents, this morning, you know, we give our kids a lot, don't we? In fact, in fact I heard according to the to the Agricultural Department of the United States, we spend $247,000 on every kid to get them from zero to 18. As a matter of fact, recently, I was back for my high school reunion, and one guy I played basketball with, he and his wife had two Corvettes, and uh, as I walked him out to his Corvette, I said, Jeff, will you stand in front of those Corvettes for a minute? He said, sure. I took his picture. He said, why did you do that? I said, because you guys have two Corvettes and no kids. I want to show my four kids what they cost me (laughs) whenever I get home, right? Listen, it costs us a lot to raise our kids, but can I tell you something? The greatest gift I've ever given my kids is godliness. I love looking up at my kids, and listen, you know how you know you raised a good kid when God's given your kids even more than you would if you could. Come on, somebody. How many of you want to be that kind of parent in your kids' lives? And Paul was that kind of parent to Timothy, and He taught him principles, and he said, Timothy, God's gonna bless you. Just keep your passion alive. Keep these principles, value these in your heart. And then he gave him a paradigm, and here's what he told him. Number one, Timothy, the foundation of emotional resilience is found in your relationships. Listen to 2 Timothy 1, verse five. He said, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and is now in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you. For this reason, I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which was in you through the laying on of my hands. He was saying, Timothy, I know that you've learned how to walk with God. And you know, that's the greatest gift our pastor ever gives to us. Thank God for all the programs. Thank God for all the wonderful things that are going on like outreaches. But how many of you are grateful today that you're in a church where you're learning to walk with God and because you're learning to walk with God, God is answering your prayers. Come on, somebody. That's what got Jesus fired up when he was in the temple that day, right? And he said, Timothy, your faith is so important. And he said, the foundation of a great life is when you go through hard times, what's God saying? Is God saying, yeah, you both came from dysfunctional families, but I have the wisdom for things to work out. Just trust me is he saying, yeah, you're going through this trial right now, but you know what? I'm going to bring mentors. I'm going to bring friends into your life that make things different. Don't quit on things just because they're difficult, but learn what my dad taught me, and that is, you know what? You can take even bigger pressure than you thought whenever you get your relationships and you get your technique down in life. You know, I love to tell this story that when our oldest son, who's preaching in Victoria today, Was just four years old, he learned how to swim. And we were so proud of him. You know, he's our first one. And Tamara called her dad, who was John Osteen, if some of you knew him. Uh, He went to heaven about 25 years ago. And if you know Brother Osteen, he does things fast. So we drove Michael up to Houston. And before I even knew it, he had him down at the pool by the townhouse where they lived. And about Five ten minutes later, Michael came running in, dripping wet. And I could tell he wanted to, to say something to me. I could tell something happened. So I waited and then I took him in a side room and I said, Hey buddy, what happened? He said, dad, granddaddy tried to drown me. <laughs> I said, what? He said, yeah, granddaddy tried to drown me. I said, oh, did he do that thing with you where as you were swimming, he kept moving back like this? He said, yeah. I said, yeah, he did that to me when I started preaching too. He just about drowned me. But you know what, son? He wasn't trying to drown you. He was trying to teach you to be a strong swimmer. How many of you are glad, Father, God's not letting you give up because he knows you have a lot on the inside of you. Amen? See, the foundation of our resilience is in our relationships. That's why we wanna stay close to God. That's why we wanna to come to church. And I don't come to church to see the few things that are wrong, that they'll probably get fixed down the road anyway. I come to church to build great friendships that are gonna sustain me in the tough times of life. And then the second thing, the structure, of our emotional re- resilience is found in our identity and in our purpose. I remember when Tamara and I built our house, I, you know, I, I kind of was pretty involved in the process. I hired an architect and I oversaw the building. My, my parents died when I was 25, so I felt like one of the things I did to honor them was to take that money and build a nice house for my kids. And I can remember going through the house thinking, I can't wait to watch movies in this room with my kids. I can't wait to watch Rambo with my sons in this room right over here. I can't wait to to go in this part of the house. I can't wait to to be in their bedrooms with them and to talk with them and to help instill faith in their hearts. You say, what do you do? There's a resilience that comes. When you go through the hard times, if you have a sense of identity, if you have a sense of purpose, you're gonna go through hard times instead of giving in in the midst of hard times. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.11. He said, Timothy, remember of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher that's why I'm suffering as I am yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I believed and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day in other words Paul said yeah it's hard but you know what Jesus trusted me to be an apostle Jesus trusted me to teach his word Jesus trusted me to herald the the gospel in hard places I'm not going to give up because you know what? All that this hard time is doing is giving me an opportunity to demonstrate my love to Jesus. And listen, some of you going through hard times today, it's giving you an opportunity to demonstrate your love to yourself. You're not going to give up on yourself. Listen, your heart's had dreams in it for a long time. And how many of you know you have God with you now? So you can walk into that dream <laughs> instead of giving up on that dream. You don't want to give up on the people around you. Listen, life doesn't have to be perfect. Perfect. For you to feel good, just look in the mirror and say, "Hey, there's a little fun in dysfunction. I'm just going to have some fun in, in spite of my dysfunction." Can you say Amen? And it's beautiful when you go through hard times and you experience God's love at a deeper level. You experience the love of people at a deeper level, and you look in the mirror and say, "You know, I'm not going to give up because this is worth fighting for." One of my favorite people in history is Victor Frankl. And if you know anything about him, he wrote a book called In Search of Meaning. And our government uh, gave it an award as one of the 10 most influential books of all time. And Franco was an Austrian psychiatrist who went through the Holocaust. And he was put in one concentration camp as a Jewish psychiatrist. His wife, his brother, his parents were put in other concentration camps. And sadly, When he got out of his concentration camp, he learned they all died. But he was an unusual person. Even when he was in his concentration camp, he realized how much the Jewish people were gonna need him and he began to prepare speeches he was gonna give when he got out of that concentration camp. And then he started organizing support groups because people started committing suicide in concentration camps. And so he started organizing the people into teams to support each other emotionally during that time. And sadly, even when they were out of concentration camps, Uh, suicide skyrocketed among the Jews because of how much sadness they had from the people they lost and how hard life was. And, And that's what motivated Frankl to write the book that he did. He was trained by Freud who said that life is all about pleasure. And if you don't have the pleasure you want, then life doesn't have any meaning. And Frankl said, no, that's, that's not true. That hard times can cause you to have the best experiences of your life. And so, Frankl taught the Jewish people how to live for purpose. And he saw 3,000 people a year after the Holocaust. And you want to hear something beautiful? Though suicide was skyrocketing, in places without Frankel, he did not lose one patient to suicide because he helped them learn the power of purpose. How many of you want a home like that? We don't lose anybody, right? Because people are pursuing purpose. So, the foundation of an emotional resilient life is let's say it together relationships. The structure of an emotionally resilient life is identity and purpose. And then what beautifies an emotionally resilient life? Well, Paul tells us in verse 13 and 14, and I'll close with this. He says, what you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus and guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Will you say this with me? Would you say the word keep? And would you say the word guard? Keep is self-control. I keep doing right whether it feels right or not. I keep doing the right thing because I know God will reward me down the road. Guard means I'm going to trust God and I'm going to trust Him that He's going to do something beautiful in my life down in the future. And can I just say this to you in closing? You can doubt whether one day the moon is going to shed its borrowed light. And whether the stars are going to be up there in the sky. But don't you ever doubt that if you trust God, he's going to bless your life. Listen, if you do it, how many of you know God's faithful? He can never fail. He always keeps the promises he makes us. Amen. This is one of the things I loved about my wife. I was a Catholic boy who got saved a month before my senior year. And, man, I had a lot to learn. Bible survey was my hardest class at Oral Roberts University when I went there to play baseball. And one day I walked across the cafeteria and I saw this beautiful little girl. And I said, hi. And she was the first girl I ever heard say my, my name in two syllables. She said, GM? And my heart melted. I didn't even know who her dad was. But I knew just watching this girl, that she lived different than I did. First of all, I could tell she kept herself. She decided she was gonna live with self-control. Then I saw she trusted God. She took a chance on me, guys. I just wanted to build a church where guys like me who didn't get it ended up learning how to walk with God. But I was only a Christian a few years whenever she met me and she took a chance on me. But come on, don't you think it was well worth it in her life? That was the weakest hand clap of my entire message. And it was entirely appropriate. I get it, all right? But would you do this? Would you grab the hand of the person beside you? And I want to pray for you this morning. And would you just squeeze their hand, thanking them for who they are in your life? Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for every person who's in this church. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you have some amazing memories that lie ahead. Lord, memories are gonna come about not just by happenstance, but because hearts choose resilience. God, we thank you for your power that's with us. And God, we say because of your power, like the Apostle Paul, that we can be confident that he who began a good work in us is gonna carry it to completion. God, I thank you for your love. And God, I thank you that we can always trust you that those who obey you most are going to experience the best in their life. And Father, we thank you for helping us with discipline. Lord, you know how hard things can be sometimes. But God, we thank you for our church. And God, we thank you for blessing us with this church so that, God, we can see how you reward us whenever we walk your way. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.